0: Thank you, guys. Make sure you get around to them, let you know how much you love them, appreciate them. If you guys don't know about Chi Alpha, uh, you need to know about Chi Alpha. It's an amazing ministry. You maybe see it this morning. Uh, Chi Alpha is an amazing ministry to our, our colleges, to our universities. And some of you think, well, that's not much of a mission field. Well, I beg to differ. There's so many nations represented at our even here at MSU in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. There's so many nations represented in our university. It's unbelievable, and the opportunity our Kai Alpha missionaries have to introduce these students to Jesus is an amazing thing. And if you doubt that, I pray that you volunteer with us next year at the Thanksgiving dinner. Hopefully, we get to do it again and just let you interact with some of these students. It's it's just amazing. And so we love Kaifa. We absolutely love Jonathan, and Macy, and uh, just pray for them. And, you know, they they raised their budget in a, just a miracle time, and just uh, one thing that we appreciated when we were missionaries is knowing that people were praying for us, and we know that there was days that God moved because somebody was praying for us. And so, don't don't forget to pray for them. Hopefully, you got their card on your on your fridge or, or somewhere where it reminds you of that. Hey, I want to just remind you of a Christmas project we're doing this year. And I got to apologize. We were unable to get uh, the tags hanging on the trees, but I'm still working on it. But this year, we're adopting Fire Bibles kind of as our Christmas project. And if you don't know what Fire Bibles are, Fire Bibles is one this amazing study Bible. It's a great study Bible. It has all the notes all the way through it. It's just amazing. But what the Fire Bible is written for it was to make sure that the Holy Spirit represented in all the study notes. And so it's amazing, it's amazing work, it's amazing that we get to learn the Holy Spirit, how it interacts and how it leads and it guides, and the Fire Bible helps do that. And so not only that, not only is it a great study Bible, to what Fire Bible did, they said, okay, well, it's like this. It's like if I tell you I have the winning ticket to the lottery, and if you can read this winning ticket, you're going to get $5 million, right? And so if I hand that ticket to you and say, here you go, Jason, now open it up to Matthew chapter 1 and read chapter 1, verse 1 for me. If you can read that, I'm going to give you $5 million. It's in Chinese. It's in Chinese. Oh. Sorry, you don't get $5 million. That's what missionaries were doing many of the times when they would go to these tribes, these nations, and we have the winning ticket. We have the good news. We have what they want. When you tell somebody they can have freedom, everybody knows what freedom is. He said, here's your ticket to freedom. Well, I can't read that. And so what Fire Bibles did is they took it upon themselves to start, translating the, the fire bible into all these languages. And when I say languages, meaning to think of the, like the big ones like Spanish, maybe maybe French, maybe Chinese, you know, but there are over 63 languages represented in fire bible right now and they're working on more. And when we when we say Chinese, okay, they break it down into different sects of, of Chinese and the languages and different tribes have different languages they speak and they make them specifically for those tribes. And um, one I'm trying to get the picture is one of the tribes that that they wrote the Bible for actually they had to load them on donkeys to get them to the tribe to give them to the people. Amazing testimony. These people loved it so much that like we're going to invest in getting more. We need more. And so they have no 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 frame of reference for money. They barter everything. And so they figured out how to earn money, basically gold for them. And they did this on their own and they paid for another print of the Bible so they could hand them out. I mean, it's just unbelievable the stories come from the fire Bibles. And this is what you guys are giving to. So this Christmas, what we're asking is that you as a family may pray about purchasing a fire Bible for someone. And so what we're doing, we'll have tags back there and these tags represent $50 It's about what it cost to give a fire Bible. And as you do that, we'll turn that in and that will go into help getting these into more languages. And so we're praying, maybe you can do one, maybe you can do more than one, whatever you feel comfortable with. We're just praying that you just pray to make this a gift this year. You know, we buy each other a lot of gifts, sometimes too many gifts. But what about this year, just giving a gift of a fire Bible to somebody you'll never meet but I promise you, it's an amazing investment that you'll be able to make in someone's life. And so appreciate you guys helping us get behind that. We we really love the fire bibles. Um, this morning I'm excited to turn to Matthew chapter one. That was not a lie. Matthew chapter one, verse one, to where we're gonna be at today. And time is flying because it is Christmas. <sighs> How many's got the shopping done already? Lies, lies, lies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I believe some of you. Some of you are sick that way, but uh, we're not. We are the last-minute family, and so we're still shopping. But, uh, you know, it is Christmas season, so this is a perfect time for you guys to invite somebody to come to church with you. You know, the most times that people are open to coming to church is Easter and Christmas. So perfect time. Invite somebody to come out hear an encouraging word and just be with you during Christmas time. But what I want to do today, this morning is I want to talk to you about hope. And hope is a very powerful thing. Hope is a powerful thing in living, right? Think about it. If you don't have hope, there's probably not much life there. Think about your own situation. You have hope, right? Everybody has hope, and it's a powerful thing. And I'm, this morning, we're talking about hope. And hope is one of those words like love. You guys know the word love, right? We use it for everything, right? Like, I love pizza. Like that's my number one food group as a pizza, right? I, I love, love, love pizza. I love my wife. Now those are two different things, right? But we use them the same, don't we? And hope is one of those words that the word hope, we use it almost like wishing. You know? And, and so we get these confused a lot, and so they want to clarify. I'm talking about hope, I'm not talking about wishing. I'm talking about hope, the right type of hope, not, you know, I hope I don't get sick, right? Or I hope I get that job, or I hope I get that new bow for Christmas. You know, I hope, you know, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about hope, the kind of hope that's real, that's biblical, that's straight from God's word. That type of hope is what we're talking about this morning. That's the type of hope that we need, that you need. Thomas Brooks, a theologian, he put it this way. He said, hope can see heaven Through the thickest clouds. That's hope, right? When you came to see it, you know know it's real, you know it's there. That's the kind of hope that changes things. We have hope, right? We have hope, and our hope is in seeing the promises of God. Our hope is in seeing the true worthiness of God. This is our hope this morning. When everything else has failed, We can trust God because that's where our hope is at, right? Then we talked about that when we talked about worshiping God. You know, how many times we worship God for the things he gives, the goodies, right? We talked about how we need to start foundationally worshiping God for who he is, right? And that's where our same place our hope is, in God for who he is. And so my hope is not wishful thinking. My hope is in his word. My hope is in his promises, that He's made me this is where my hope is and this is where your hope should be also not wishful thinking All things will work out now. If I live a good enough life all things will work out. No, my hope Is in the word of god And in promises is written to me my hope is not wishful My hope is certain this morning because it's on his word. It's on his promises You and I we need hope Like we need oxygen You need hope to live you need hope to survive Come on, hope's what keeps you going sometimes, isn't it? The hope that you, you, you can make it, the hope that when all else is lost, if you have hope, it can keep you going. The one thing, when you got all the news, you got all the reports, everybody's telling you this, if you just have hope, come on, all you sports fans, if you just have hope, you know, unless you're Oklahoma State University on the one yard line, you don't have nothing, you know. Sorry, a little bitterness that we weren't there. but Hope, that's what keeps you going, isn't it? That you can do something. Everybody else says you can't do this, but you have hope. Right? And so here's, here's, here's a little way I like to put it. Hope gives us inspiration. And the inspiration leads to expectation. And that expectation then produces, produces determination. There it is. That's hope. This is hope. This is what you and I have. Our hope leads to inspiration. That inspiration leads to expectation, and that expectation produces determination, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, think about it in your own life. When you have that hope, you know this one thing you're going after. Even after everybody's saying it's not true, it gives you determination, doesn't it? It's like, I don't care. I'm doing it. I don't care. I can make it. I don't care. I know this will come true. This is the kind of hope that we have to have. We have hope so we don't give up. We have hope, so we keep pushing on. You have hope. You have hope that that lost loved one is going to come back to the Lord. You have hope. And this is not wishful thinking. You have hope that that relationship that you lost is restored. You have hope that the miracle you've been seeking that God is going to provide. This is not wishful thinking. This is the hope that you and I have. This is the kind of hope that we're supposed to have. Not wishful thinking, but hoping on the promises of God. Think about it. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the hope. That's what Advent teaches us, right? Waiting on something that was divinely promised does not end in disappointment. That's Advent. Waiting on something that's divinely promised that does not disappoint. That's a Christmas story. So you see, hope is biblical. Hope is required. Hope is healthy. Hope is the Christmas story. I mean, last week was the start of Advent, and Advent is, isn't just the expectation that he came, but also that he's coming one day. Right? We celebrate that he came, but also the anticipation that he is coming again. Tim, Tim Keller said it this way, Christmas is not simply about a birth, but about a coming. You know, we forget about that sometimes. We lose sight of that sometimes. We're going to talk about that this morning in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, that's the, the, the chapter that many of you skip You know, you get your Bible reading plans, you know, and we go to usually the first chapter of most books, genealogy, right? Doesn't your head just kind of spin? We like, oh, he begot he, he begot he, he, I cannot name, forgot that person, I had no clue. You know, isn't that how how it rolls? And so we kind of flow through that really quickly. Well, I want to take time on Matthew chapter one because it's so important that we see this genealogy. Genealogy in biblical times meant a lot of things, it's so important to a lot of people. One, you couldn't buy land unless you could show your genealogy, right? You couldn't become a priest unless you could show that there was no break in your genealogy. And of course, the genealogy showed the proof of the Messiah came. And so this morning, it's funny, I, I, you know, I feel like a little uh, a kid in the, in the class when the teacher called on you to read out loud. I don't know if any of you ever felt that, but like, don't do that you know don't make eye contact don't make i'm going to read to you Matthew chapter 1 it gets all things in my head screaming don't do it i'm going to read it to you <laughs> i'm going to butcher some of these names so just give me grace we're in church right give me grace this morning this is how this is how important it is okay i'm reading this out loud to you so here we go Matthew chapter 1 starting at verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father, here's Judah just messes the whole thing up and goes down this rabbit trail of all these Z's, you know, it's, just, it's painful. So verse 3, then Judah the father of Perez and Zezra by Tamar, and Perez the father, father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abimadad, and Abimedad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was a father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Ajab, And Ahab, the father of Asa; and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzzah, And Uzzah the father of Jotham. Jotham the father of Azaz, Azar the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jacob and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jacob, father of Shethai, and Shethai the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Adad, Adad the father of Elkum, Elcum the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zodak. Zodak the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elud, Elud the father of Ezra, Ezra the father of Manhattan, and Manhattan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Jos- Joseph. Thank you, Jacob, for bringing it back to normalcy. <laughs> Verse 16, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations. From David to the deportation of Babylon, fourteen generations. From the deportation of Babylon to Christ, fourteen generations. Verse eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she found was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. So, what you saw, or heard in that painful rendition of Matthew chapter one, was you saw fourteen generations, right? I need you to see this: fourteen generations from Abraham to David, and then fourteen from David to the Babylonian exile. And then 14, from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. This is important this morning because you see this genealogy. Because often we, we do blow past this, but I believe it's an incredible portion of Scripture. I think we can see a couple things this morning out of this portion of Scripture. The first thing I want to bring to attention this morning, first thing I want to see about our hope is that he came. That's what this genealogy tells us. He came. And that's so important for you and I is if he came... We can trust his promise that he's coming again. Amen? Amen? Come on. He came. He proved it. He came so we can trust his promise that he's coming again. You know what else that says? If he came, he didn't forget. He didn't forget you this morning. Matthew 1 proves that. Let's be honest. We know the promise. We all heard it. We grew up. If you grew up in church, you know the promise, right? He's coming back. I mean, we've heard it since we can remember we've heard. Jesus is coming back, right? Oh, you remember all those sermons? Jesus is coming back, so don't go, don't get on that road unless you know Jesus because you're going to die, right? And he's coming back. Or he's coming back tonight when you're asleep and you're not going to go to heaven. You know, we heard all the stories, right? And so we kind of get dull to this. It's normalized. that, Oh, Jesus is coming back. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that. And so we get distracted in life, right? And we're tempted to, in that distraction, We're tempted to think that God has forgotten us. I mean, can't you see it? Let's be real. Be honest this morning. We're in church. Don't lie. All your life, okay, that's 45 years for me. I know that's young for some of you. It's old for me. I know it kind of hurts saying that, but 45 years I've been told Jesus is coming back. Let's be honest. I get distracted. I'm like, okay, maybe he's coming back. Maybe not. You know, still a good life to live. Pastor Steve, can you help me out here? I want to ask if you can hold this in. And so, all your life, you've been hearing the same thing Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And so, it's natural to think after all this time, maybe he's forgotten, right? You want to give me a hand? Maybe if you can, I want you guys to hold that tight. You might have to stand up for this one. Thank you, sir. All right. And so, look, here it is. So, the children of Israel, there was a promise back in Genesis that he's coming, right? And so, for generation after generation, they've been told he's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And it's natural to think all this time. You lose focus. You get distracted. You think, well, maybe he's not. Think about your own life. Maybe God has promised you something. Maybe God promised you that all your kids are going to be saved. But year after year, another year goes by, another Christmas, and they're not home. It's natural to think, okay, maybe he's forgotten. Or maybe he promised you restoration in some way. Maybe he promised you a miracle. Come on. Month after month, year after year, you're still dealing with the same old garbage. It's natural to think maybe he's forgotten me. Year after year, they waited for the Messiah. You guys can put that down. Thank you, gentlemen. Can you imagine all these generations? And he hasn't came, he hasn't came. You hear Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. They heard Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. Then finally he comes, right? And it was probably like, well, God hasn't forgotten us. He's come. Can anybody relate? All this time he's forgotten me. You know what the enemy does? The enemy has used the past few years of loss and loneliness to plant seeds of untruth and seeds of doubt in our hearts, saying God has forgotten you. If you don't believe that's true, just turn on the news tonight. See what state our country is in. You look at that and you're like, God has forgotten. Where is God? Maybe you're hurting Maybe you've lost some relationships this past year. Maybe you have someone who's not going to be at Christmas this year. It's tempting to say, God's forgotten me. All these bad things happening. Error right around us happened to us. God doesn't care. God's forgotten me. These little seeds of doubts and untruth the enemy's planting in our hearts. But yet when we open this and we read that story in Matthew, what we see is the faithfulness of God that's been proven time and time and time again. That's why we have these scriptures to prove time and time again. All the way back in Genesis, we have promises that he's coming. And guess what Matthew chapter 1 does? It proves them all right. It proves that he has not forgotten you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. His word is proof that God has not forgotten us. This genealogy in Matthew is proof that God has not forgotten. Can you imagine? Can you look at this? So back here, references, this is Genesis' area back here, okay? So we get right about, I'd say about here, maybe about here. This prophet Malachi gives a, pro- a prophecy out. He says, You're going to see Elijah again. He's coming. He's talking about John the Baptist, but he, he gives a word from the Lord. What do you have past here? You have all these words from the Lord, right? You have all these miracles. God moves mildly. God does this. God does this. I mean, it's incredible stories. So you see, you, sometimes you visibly see God's presence, right? And you have all this. And then here comes Malachi, party pooper. <laughs> he gives the last word from God. And then what you see from Malachi to the birth of Messiah is represented 400 years. 400 years. We we can't even fathom 400 years. I mean, what were you doing 400 years ago? (laughs) Right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Here's some things happening 400 years ago. Galileo proved the planets orbited around the sun. Manhattan was purchased by the Dutch for $24. I mean, come on. That's a Black Friday sale if I ever heard one. (laughs) Then the Taj Mahal was built by India. It's hard to comprehend, but the Bible tells us that's how long the people waited for God to speak. I mean, are you kidding me? I brought, we got a new Advent deal we celebrated advent with the kids and we'd always have something like this growing up for our kids and it, these these are funny because i'm like come on why can you fit in that little thing right i'm like,, a hershey Kiss. what's a good you know they're not even gonna give a second look at that and so of course what we always have to do is we have to get little gifts and put them out there representing that day right and so but here's the so it's one through 24 right any memory? remember if you ever had kids or grandkids, they get so excited about Christmas. You know, I can't wait for Christmas. Christmas is coming. I can't wait to see what we get for Christmas, right? And it's like, that. 24 days are like the most painful days of their lives. Like, come on. And so I tried to come up creatively how I could represent this physically, and there was no way. I thought, too, maybe I could build something out of toothpicks, or maybe I could... Um, What I wanted to show you was we we get impatient with this, right? I mean, come on, all you youth. You've been praying about that boyfriend or girlfriend. You're like, God, it's been a whole two weeks, and I have not gotten one text. My world is going to end, and we can't stand it, right? And we get so impatient with this. But look, their Advent calendar was 146,000 days. Come on. 140 I can't represent that. I tried. I tried. It was going to cost way too much to justify it. But 146,000 days. Can you imagine every day? Hershey kiss. Woo. You know, I mean, you're like, <laughs> we, we end up getting our girls nail polish, but man. Two bucks a drop, that gets expensive after a while. So we changed that real quick. But can you imagine? I don't care what it was. After 146,000 days, you're tired of it. Come on. 146,000 days of silence. You know, it had to feel like eternity. The longer God was silent, the worse things got. I mean, can you relate? Come on. When God goes silent, it doesn't take long until we assume he's forgotten about us. And when that happens, what do we do? We suddenly start taking things in our own hands, don't we? Listen, I prayed about that boy. I prayed about that girl for a whole two weeks. This one I met yesterday, that's the one. Come on. We take matters in our own hands and we force things. And it never turns out the way that God wanted it to turn out. So why mention the genealogy of Jesus? To prove to you this morning that God does not forget. God has not forgotten you. And I promise you, whatever you're going through, God did not forget. Months, years, decades, God has not forgotten. Remember, our relationship with God has to be more than feelings. Yeah. Feelings will let you down. Feelings will trick you into believing that God has forgotten you. Come on. You know, we love. We come to services like this morning, and the presence was thick in here. Just, just a worshipful atmosphere, a worshipful presence was here. I mean, it was, it, you could feel the presence of God. But what if you can't feel the presence of God? Does that mean he's not real? Well, of course not. So just because you're having a day when maybe you don't feel God doesn't mean he's vacated your life. He's still there. He has not forgotten you. That's a whole Christmas story. He's not forgotten you, but he remembers you. I mean, look at Genesis chapter 12. I mentioned this. Genesis 12 verse 3 says it this way. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was to Abraham. I mean, not to Abraham. Sorry, this was back in Genesis. This is Abraham. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He's saying this is the, this is the original promise. All the families on earth can be blessed. And then again, look what he's saying in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. What, what are they doing here in Luke? They're looking back and saying, God has not forgotten me. They're looking at scripture. They're looking at his word. God has not forgotten us. That's what they're saying to you. And this is what God is saying this morning, is we need to stop judging God by our calendars. Come on. Just because he doesn't work in your schedule, doesn't because he doesn't work in your calendar year, doesn't mean he's forgotten you. So quit judging God by your calendar and quit judging God by your feelings. Come on. He's not forgotten you. Can I tell you that when he does show up, it's going to be better than you, you could ever imagine. Jesus showed up here on earth and better than anybody can imagine. He started healing. He started doing things people never seen before. Jesus says, hey, i got to go away. Like, hang on a second. We have you. Nothing can be better than that. He goes, no, no, hang on. If I don't go away, you don't get the Holy Spirit. So he left. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Now the disciples have the Spirit of God living in them, the same power to raise Christ from dead. Come on, it's better than they could have imagined. This is Christmas. This is the faithfulness of God. This is God saying, I have not forgot you. God knows exactly what you're going through, and he's not forgotten you. So here's what Christmas teaches us. If he came, that means he hasn't forgotten you. And secondly, if he came, he's coming back again. Come on. He's coming back again. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. I want to ask the worship team to come back up. I need to wrap up. Look, what do you see here? Verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed. That's referencing the first advent. Christ came. That's what that's saying, right? If we read on, look at verse 13. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He's saying the second advent, right? That he's coming back. He appeared the first time. That's testimony that he's going to come back the second time. It was a promise, right? It was a promise he was coming first. And you look back, all the prophecies, all those came true prophesying that he's coming, right? I think we all agree on this. Well, look at his second coming. Okay, let me read you some stats about this. It's estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament. 1,845 references to second coming. 17 books give it the most emphasis. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament out of those 260 there's 318 references to the second coming. And when I say references, these are promises, okay? And then one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talk about the second coming. Come on, I, I think that says there's something to the second coming. Again, all the promises came true about the first coming. You see where I'm going? All these promises about the second coming, guess what? They're going to come true because he's coming back for you and I. It's a promise. Look at this. This will blow your mind. For every prophecy concerning the first coming, there are eight that look forward to the second. So for every one, for the first, there's eight saying he's coming back. Do you think there's something too? He's coming back. He's coming back so here we are he's coming he's coming he's coming don't be discouraged don't be discouraged don't be distracted don't delay I want to show you something the Hebrew word for hope is tikvah and so tikvah there's two meanings to this Hebrew word hope and the first meaning is one you would think expectation right the second meaning for that Hebrew word tikvah hope is rope or cord and the illustration, what they're trying to show you is if you if you unwrap this, you see there's three braids here. And then if you take one of those braids and try to unwrap it even more, I mean there's there's thousands of little strands in there. And the idea of what they are wanting to say, whenever they say Tikva, the, the idea they're wanting you to get is go ahead and grab hold of that, would you? Okay, the idea of what they're going to do is, so you know this, if you've ever done anything with ropes, hold strong, okay? So what I do, the idea is, when you pull, all those just collapse on each other, and it's strengthening the rope. When you pull, it's strengthening that rope. Come on, I getting there yet? That's the word for hope. That's what they're saying. Here's my hope. And you grab hold of that hope, and you pull. You pull that hope because you got that lost loved one. You need hope for that person. You pull that rope. You pull that hope because you need that miracle in your life. And the more you pull, the stronger it gets. That's the picture that we're to see this morning. That's hope. That's what hope does for you this morning. You pull on that hope. And this is not wishful thinking. This is the promises that God has made to you and I. This picture of pulling on God's faithfulness. Pulling on God's goodness. Pulling on God's power to accomplish everything he said he would. I want to show you a cool verse. Isaiah 40, 31. We know this verse. You know this verse. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. Come on. (laughs) They shall run and not be worried. You know what the original says? But they who hope for the Lord. Come on, somebody. They who hope for the Lord. What's it saying? Those who anchor down. Ruin the Christmas decoration. I'll be in trouble. Those who anchor down and those who start pulling on that hope, strengthening you, you get strength. Those who wait, those who pull on that hope, they renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk And not faint. That's what happens when we hope in the Lord. We get stronger when we place our hope in the Lord. The more we pull on this, the more we tug on that hope, the stronger we get. Anybody with me this morning? So here's what Christmas teaches us. Go ahead and stand up. I need to let you go. Here's what Christmas teaches us. If he came, Matthew chapter 1. Geology, if he came, he's not forgotten you, right? Matthew chapter 1, if he came, then he's coming back again. God has not forgotten you this morning. This season, please know that God has not forgotten you. Quit judging God by your counter, quit judging God by your feelings. The enemy's planting these seeds of untruth and doubt in your hearts. This morning, some of you just need to grab hold of that rope of hope. And say, this is not wishful thinking." Or this hope, this hope that inspires, this hope that leads to expectations, this hope that gives birth to determination. Maybe you have the enemy saying, God has forgotten you. I mean, just look at your life, God has forgotten you. Or look at the emptiness around your table this Christmas, God has forgotten you. Some of you need to see dig in. Grab a hold of that hope in the promises of his word. The promises came true the first time. The promises are going to come true the second time. God has not forgotten you. God sees you. You need to you put your hope in him this morning. This morning I want to ask the worship team to lead us in, prayer, in worship. I want to open up these altars. I think some of you Need to pull on that rope this morning. Some of you need to recommit. Say, Lord, I'm putting my hope in you this morning. I've got some promises that you give me that have not came true. I need my hope in you this morning. I don't need to give up. I don't need to be discouraged this morning. My hope is in you. Four hundred years, a thousand, one hundred forty-six thousand days, two of Israel waited on their hope. Don't give up. Don't give up. He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up. Place your hope. Would you sing it with us this morning? Would you come to the altars this morning? We want to pray with you.